So we should be going right now. I think we're live. I think Deb's going to check that. Hopefully we're live streaming with the uh, with this iPhone. I don't know if it's as good a picture, picture quality, but nonetheless, I'd like to welcome everyone tonight. Welcome to the live stream audience that are watching. Um, so glad you're here tonight. Um, just to just to just to let you know, what's Pastor Greg is is uh, away with Rini, just as a getaway for the, this past week for a few days, just to kind of get away and relax and uh, spend some time with Rini, just the two of them. And I think it's a, a much needed thing that has to, exactly how nice it needs to happen. Um, people often wonder, you know why he goes away during the summer for this or that, but it's, uh, let me tell you, it's a, it's a much needed thing for him to be able to spend time with his wife. And uh, so that's good. We know they're resting. Um, my name is Scott Walker. For those of you who are maybe watching on live stream that don't know who I am, uh, I often teach uh, when Pastor Greg is, is away, and I really thoroughly enjoy this. Uh, anytime you can sit down and open up the Word and study it and learn and see what God has to say in it is a wonderful time. You know, this time I would like to start, though, and see if anybody has, now obviously we're live streaming, but I want to keep this so we can keep it kind of brief, but does anybody have any prayer requests before we pray that we can, any, that we can lift up any prayer requests? Yes. Your niece, Tiffany, and her three grown sons. We'll be praying for Tiffany. Thank you so much for that. Good. Anyone else? I do know that we um, just received word this afternoon that um, we all know Ken and Pam Brooks. And I think Ken has uh, been, been sent off to a place for some maybe some recovery. Or I'm not exactly sure. We don't know the details yet. I think Pastor Greg and I are going to go visit him tomorrow afternoon. But... Um, uh, let's be in prayer for Pam, uh, as well as Ken, obviously. But Pam is, uh, man, if there's ever uh, two peas in a pod, it's the two of them. And they've been with us from uh, Vera Bible Fellowship from day one. And uh, so let's keep them in, in our prayers as well. Um, we're not quite sure what's going on, but I think we'll know more on Sunday. Obviously tomorrow, so we'll announce it on Sunday, how he's doing and how she's doing. Uh, so we'll remember that. So is there anyone else? All right, why don't, why don't, did you have a prayer? No, okay, just come in your hair. Okay. <laughs> let's, well, let's go ahead and, and, uh, and open up with prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for all of those who have come out tonight uh, to study your word. Lord, it's a, it's a certain breed of people that, that enjoy coming out and, and uh, focusing in and, and honing in on uh, your word and to gain understanding and knowledge of who you are and how that can relate to their lives, Father. We Lord, we ask you to bless this evening, Father. We ask you to um, illuminate the text as we just go through faithfully through this text and uh, verse by verse to, uh, to see your truths in this, Lord. We pray for Tiffany and her three grown children, Father. I don't know what the situation is, Lord, but uh, as a request, Father, we're praying for your, your hand of mercy to be on them, Lord, and your will to be done in their lives. Lord, we pray for... Uh, for, for Preacher Ken and uh, Pam, Lord, we probably don't, I'm not quite sure. Uh, we know he's been in decline a little bit, Lord, and it's been a little hard to manage for Pam, but I pray that you will um, help them out in whatever situation they're in. Give her a peace and a comfort that only you can bring, Father. Lord, again, tonight as we open up your word, Father, Father I pray that, you, uh, that you're with us this evening and that you, uh, that you speak to those in ways that uh, only the Holy Spirit can through your word. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, tonight, this, what a wonderful, I don't know, has anybody read the entire, the entire book of Ruth? I mean, the entire, the entire, all four chapters? I mean, a lot of people have, it's, it's a very common theme, people know what this is. Um, but you know, the title for the entire book itself, if there was something that could encapsulate the whole book, it's, it's the kinsman redeemer. The Kinsman Redeemer. If you're taking notes tonight, which I always encourage people to do, uh, whether it's by phone or just writing something down, um, that's sort of the overall arching theme of the book of Ruth, a Kinsman Redeemer. Redemption uh, is such a beautiful thing, and we're going to take a look and see uh, quite a bit about that this evening. Uh, 
So that would be the overall theme. And I, I kind of titled it, How Great a Redeemer. How Great a Redeemer. So just in, in, in way of overview, Pastor Greg did a wonderful job introducing the chapter and, and, and developing the story and setting the, the background. It's very important contextually that we know what's going on. Um, so if you'd like to go ahead, obviously we're in uh, Ruth. Uh, and if you want to go back to chapter one, I'm going to point a couple things out and repeat a few things that Pastor Greg talked about, and just in case some of you were not here. Um, but it's very important, context, context, context. It's like what the realtors say. What do the realtors say? Location, location, location. Context is very important. You gain an understanding of why something is occurring, because a lot of times people will take something out of context, and they'll, you'll see a beautiful passage written on a wall, you know, and it has nothing to do with us. It's really about the <laughs> nation of Israel in a very dark time. And, but, so context is everything. For you to understand context, it means that we understand what was happening at the time frame and why God did things and what that can or can't mean to us in, in, this, in this modern time. So contextually, as Greg said, this was during the Judges period, and there was a group of people called the Moabites. Now the Moabites... If there was anyone that would be unredeemable in today's standards or by the standards of then, it would be the Moabites. Uh, you may or may not know that, does anybody know how the Moabites got started? You just raise your hand, but don't say anything if you know. But the Moabite nation um, started by uh, an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. So from that point forward, it was downhill. It was a downhill slope. So you want to talk about unredeemable. And as we talk about this tonight, this, this passage in the scripture, how God's grace and mercy redeems Ruth, you need to understand the depth in which the Moabites and where they stood in the eyes of God. Um, here's what they did. They were enemies of Israel. They were on the... So Israel, they were on the far right side of the Dead Sea, and they were, they were under war. They, t they attacked, they battled Israel. They were worshipers of idols and false gods, obviously, one of them being Kamash. I don't know if you remember from the study of the kings, but Kamash, uh, one of their rituals for that god was child sacrifice of infants. And so there's two and three or four or five strikes against the Moabites. Um, so certainly, in my mind, unredeemable. Uh, so, but if you look back, in fact, you don't need to actually look back. I'm just going to quote something out of Deuteronomy. It says, Deuteronomy 23 says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Uh, and it goes on to say why they did this and, and the, the curse. So they were cursed, essentially. So... As you, that's, it kind of sets up the framework as you begin to see how Ruth entering into a family that was, they were Israelites, how she may or may not feel. I don't know that she would feel, she probably felt a, lot, a sense of shame maybe. There were, the Moabite nation was large and then it was broken down. Saul took care of part of the Moab nation and they were um, uh, diminished to a very small amount. But nonetheless, they, she was a Moabite. And it says that a couple times in our passage tonight. And it's really uh, a humiliating thing in a way. Uh, and so you can just imagine how she might have felt from her, I mean, herself coming into this whole situation, this whole story, and then what she thought other, people's might, other people might think of her as they moved back to, to Israel so, or Bethlehem. And so um, just keeping those things in mind as you understand the Redeemer story, how dark and, and depraved the Moabites really were. And she was a Moabite, right? So, but I want you to look at a passage here, a particular verse in, 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 in Ruth verse one, or chapter one. And you see a very humble uh, statement here. Let's, let's look at Ruth chapter one. And let's look at verse 16. I'm not gonna rehash the whole story, but let's look at what she had said after, after these things happened. She said, but Ruth said, this is after the Orpah decided to return, do not urge me to leave you, this is to Naomi, or to return from following you. 
For where you go, I will go, and where you will lodge, I will lodge. Your people, in other words, the Israelites, will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. I think the most important part of that passage right there is, and your God will be my God. At that point, I don't know that Ruth really even knew a, a whole lot about who the, who, who the God of Israel was, um, but she chose in her loyalty to stay with Naomi and to just in, in all humility say, I want your God to be my God. Where you go, I go. So the loyalty there is very important to Naomi, but also to the Lord, who she wasn't, I don't know if she really knew a whole lot about. And so as we kind of go into this, I want you to, I just want to explain something that happens sometimes in scripture. There's something called typology, um, typology. I don't have my phone right here. I had something I was going to read to you, um, but typology is something that um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, a shadow of something that occurs. Thank you. So something that would happen in the Old Testament might be something that occurs in the New Testament. So it's, it's a foretelling uh, in the Old Testament, and then the New Testament, something actually comes to fruition. Let me just read something briefly here for, for you. I found this uh, on my thing. So typology, uh, it's a special kind of symbolism. Uh, a symbol is something that represents something else. Um, one of the most common ones is the example of the flood in Noah's day. Okay, so the flood, and then that's a, there's a, a typology, it's a type for a baptism. So typology and types. So in the flood in Noah's day uh, is used as a type. And uh, in, in, in so in Peter, I'll just read from, from verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, this is Peter speaking, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And so uh, this, this whole story is something you'll find in, uh, in, in this passage is, is, a, is typology. It's a type. So the kinsman redeemer, this whole story and situation, is a true type of Christ and the unrepentant sinner or the sinner. So as we see Ruth... And, and Boaz and this beautiful story unfold, keep in mind that is, it is typology of the actual Christ re redeeming the church, his, his, his people. And so a lot of the things will go, oh, you'll see, and you go, oh, that makes a lot more sense because these are all sort of analogies or, or you know, things, metaphors in, in a way, but it's called typology, just to let you know what that is. So let's go ahead and uh, begin in chapter two. And what I'm going to do, typically when I read Bible study, I or when I teach Bible study, I like to sort of just, I, I, I've taken notes and I always run through a lot of notes, but at the same time, I really like to go verse by verse and really pick apart and, and, and dwell on things just so you have a, a, like, what's the point of Bible study? Well, it's to study the Bible. And we want to make sure that things that we see and read, if there's something that just seems a little off, I want to make sure I explain what it is and what's going on as far as sequence of events. And then obviously, there's, there's three or four, five, actually four things tonight, scriptural truths that are going to come out, things that can be applied to our lives. And so that's sort of what I want to do. And so as I go through this, I'm going to stop at some point and do certain things and explain certain things. But let's begin with verse 1 of chapter 2. Actually, I, I would jump up to uh, verse, let's see, verse 22 of chapter 1, if you could go there real quickly. Just to set the stage of where we are. It says, So Naomi returned, this is verse 22, and Ruth and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, notice it says Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, we'll see that several times, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem, this is in Israel, at the beginning of the barley harvest. So this whole thing is taking place around a harvest of barley, and that typically occurred in mid-April and went several months into the summer, 
and it was hard work, but you had to make hay while the sun shone. It was, it was one of those things where it was a hard work, but it was something that actually occurred around mid-April is when it started. So let's, that kind of brings us to where we are. It says, now Naomi, this is chapter two, had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, let me just pause right there. This, this is just setting the stage. At this point, Ruth doesn't know who Boaz is, uh, nor now Naomi does, but it doesn't say anything about that quite yet. This is just sort of setting the stage of, of what's happening and who he is and just kind of like an introduction thing. And so let's move on from there. There's no connection at this point yet. Verse 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabite, there it is again, uh, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I will find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, there's a couple things I'd like to, to make some observations about that. First of all, gleaning. Does anybody know what gleaners are, what the gleaners were? If you, if you don't, let me explain what it was. Gleaning is... Uh, it was a mosaic law, a rule, so to speak, that when they would go through and harvest the different types of crops and grains, that the poor and the, and the destitute could come in behind after they've gone through the field and just scavenge and pick up whatever they could find, whatever was left. They would they would pick up and and that was just it was a that was a, a mo, uh, excuse me a, a mosaic type of law or a, a thing that they would have to do. And so anytime that would happen uh, through the fields, they would gather as they thrashed the and then bundled the, uh, the grain up. They would also be able to be there gathering things and any errant things that fell, they would, and that was for the poor. That was just one of the things that occurred. So that was what gleaning was. Okay. So just to let you know what gleaning was. The other thing I'd like you to notice as we look at this um, is just the character that's shown right here of Ruth. Um, there's there's several several uh, characters characteristics and and levels of character that Naomi showed and that Boaz showed, and so it's kind of one of the first points in in, in the that we see in this uh, particular passage is that. Godly characteristics, even though Naomi wasn't necessarily in full understanding of what God, what the God of Israel was about, uh, she showed many wonderful characteristics. Among them were humility. We see that uh, in the fact that she is basically saying, let me go do this poor and destitute work to go down and, and, and to glean, which is something that took a lot of humility because only the poor typically did that. So that's one thing we see. Another thing we see is that she was industrious. She wanted to go out and, and, and help and support Naomi, who was now had, had nothing really. And so that's another thing that we notice in this. And if you go back just briefly, you don't have to turn, but if you go back and look at the, chat, the verse I read, for where you will go, I will go, and where you lodge, I lodge, your people shall be my people, that is loyalty. Naomi, if anything, was extremely loyal. And so that's something to notice about Naomi, uh, several things about that. So we'll hit the ones on Boaz and some of his godly characteristics as we move forward. But I just wanted you to notice those things. And they're very appealing. She was industrious. She was loyal. She was humble. Like, who wouldn't want that, right? And so these are some things that are good markers, obviously, of a, of a, of a believer. I mean, do we have those characteristics? Are we like that? Um, you know, obviously there's the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which are hugely important. And do we demonstrate those things? Do we demonstrate self-control and, and graciousness and humility? And those are some of the things as I was reading through this, I thought, wow, the, the picture of, of Naomi, though a Moabite, as it said clearly, it made sure it stated that several times here. The author made sure she, he said, Ruth the Moabite. They think that Samuel might be the, one of the authors, but um, uh, that she was, had these wonderful characteristics and so I think this goes a long way in this. And you'll see why uh, as we kind of move down further in the story. They're noted. They're noted. It's, they don't go unseen. Let's put it that way. So let's move on in, in verse 3. Also, also, real quick up there, back up in, in, in the end of verse 2, it says, Go, my daughter. Now, 
the, the daughter part was really, um, yes, she was married to one of her sons, but it's also an age difference thing. And that's, that's typically of that time and, and era, they, she would be able to call my daughter. So verse three, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I'm going to continue, but I want you to remember what, remember this one little phrase there, happened to come. She happened to come, right? And then in verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you, and they answered, the Lord bless you. Now, this is funny because these are two words here, two little phrases that show God's absolute and certain hand of sovereignty in, in putting things together. Talk about a matchmaker, right? So, and it's just so, and so she happened to, happened to come to the part of the field. Now, let me explain. If you can picture like maybe 15 or 20 football fields, large, large, vast areas, maybe even bigger. And these were all the fields that different people in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas would own. They would own these, and I don't, I don't know if they would lease them or they would own part of the tract or they would, it was a, a communal thing, but they would, this one particular area, and it could have been the size of a football field, was Boaz, right? But out of all the fields that were there, you know, it's like walking into an area where it's like the entire mall area, this just massive area, and she just happened to come to Boaz's field, right? Isn't that how God works? And then also, as you move forward, it says, and behold, Boaz decides to show up. Yeah, okay. You know, it just happened that way, right? Yeah. So, you know, and that made me think of, of man, I don't know. I, there has to be some things. That there, I'm sure there are things uh, that are in your life that have occurred where you think, boy, that was really weird. It just happened to, this happened to work out and and then this, and then I met my wife, and it was, and then here we are, and you know, things like that. That's how God works. I don't think that Naomi knew anything. Well, she clearly didn't know anything about Boaz and where he was, or what, how where this story is going. We know what the story is going. She didn't, but happened to come to this particular field. God directed her, obviously, through His hand of provision, you know. And then Boaz happened to show up. Behold, one day in the fields. And uh, so I just think it's a really neat thing. And I know, that, I know that you can think about times in your life where certain things have happened. And maybe it was even a bad thing. Maybe something, you know, not so pleasant happened. But it brought you to a place where you look back and you thought, wow, that was God. God had his hand all over that, you know. You know, even though that was a difficult time or trial, God was faithful, you know. And then there's times where things really happened that just like, wow, I can't believe that worked out. What a coincidence. Yeah, there's no coincidences in, in, in God's economy. He directs everything, you know, and I was reflecting back as we're in prayer and uh, for, for, you know, potentially getting church property. I know we've been saying this for many years, but, you know, it seems like things are picking up steam. But I look back at Vero Bible Fellowship through the years and, 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 and God's hand of providence and his hand of just opening doors and also shutting doors and things that occurred like, you know, well, you know, Greg not being a pastor at First Church of God, well, look at us now. Look at where God has, has brought us. If it wasn't for that, you know, and just his hand of providence at, at, at you know, where Glenn Strunk said, hey, I, Greg, I you know, love you and I, if, you, if you need a space, let me know. And there was a plaza that we met at for the first, you know, few months. And then, then I, I made a phone call and talked to some people. And one of the principals at the Storm Grove said, hey, by the way, um, we ha we have this available area available if you'd like to you know, use it. We, we've already had a church that was wanting to look at it, but they didn't get back to us. So you're, you're, you're on the list. You're number one. But that just happened to be, you know. And so there's so many areas of our lives in the life of our church that you want to say, well, she happened to come to the field. Well, God really is moving and his hand is, is going forward. And I pray that we, we remain sensitive to that as a church, that when God does things and, and things happen, that we really notice those things and take them for what they are. There, there's no coincidences. We, we really need to keep attuned to that, you know. And then in your lives personally, 
things that have happened. It's, it's, you know, I was talking to um, one of the young men that I'm discipling right now, and I, I said, and he was struggling a little bit, and I said, well, what's your ratio? He goes, what are you talking about? Well, like, what's your ratio? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, we operate in either the flesh or the spirit, right? Where's your ratio? Where are you today? Where are you this week? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? Flesh or spirit? When the spirit is high, when you're yielding to the spirit, a lot of people say, boy, we, need, we, need, I just, we just need more of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I think the Holy Spirit needs a lot more of us. We need to yield to him. And so when you're living with your ratio high, with the spirit above the flesh, you become more attuned to these things and you start seeing the way God is working and you, be, you notice these things. And it's really important to... The Bible's clear on this. It, it talks about walking with the spirit, walking in the spirit, setting aside the deeds of the flesh. And when that occurs, you're... I, I, this is not just me making this up, but we're instructed that, that we see things differently. We have a different approach on everything that happens and we see. So... I just wanted to make a point of that. It's, it's God's sovereign hand in this little, little teeny passage here. No coincidences. God, God is orchestrating this. So let's move on. And behold, this is verse 4. Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers. Now, here's something interesting. We talked about Naomi's character, her character qualities. Naomi was loyal. She was humble. She was industrious. But Boaz here, this is the first time we hear about Boaz. And this, well, actually, let me back up a little bit. If you look up there, it says Boaz in chapter, verse 1, was a worthy man. So there's characteristic number one of Boaz. Uh, worthy simply means he was, uh, I had this written down somewhere. Uh, he was just, he was a, a godly man. He took care of his own, his own uh, uh, business decisions well. He obviously owned a lot of land and he was pretty well off and he took it seriously. But I think when we see what he said here, we knew that he was God honoring and everything because this is an unusual thing. Some of the commentaries that I looked at about this said, you don't normally see this. So when it says here, uh, and he said to the reapers, this is Boaz, the Lord be with you. This is how he greets his workers basically. And they answered, the Lord bless you. That's unusual. For the time. So that just, just a note there that, that it's another, another little character identity there of Boaz that was, uh, he was a man of God, truly, in everything he did, even his business dealings, even the way he taught and treated his workers. Let's continue on. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant, basically saying, uh, who is she? Not seen her before. Who is this? And the servants who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman. She can't get away from that Moabite thing. Goodness. Who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean. This is, this is the, still the, the worker saying this. She, she, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. And she has continued from early morning until now for, for a short rest. And then Boaz said to Ruth, so somehow they must have crossed paths. He's now in front of Ruth. He said, now listen, my daughter. And again, my, the my daughter thing is, is that there was an age difference. I'm not going to shield any truth here. There was an age difference. We're guessing that Boaz was probably in his 50s maybe 50, 50, somewhere between there, maybe early 50s, and Naomi could have been anywhere from 20 to 25. I'm sorry, Ruth, thank you. Boy, my, I'm glad I have my wife back there. Thanks, Deb. <laughs> She's always listening. <laughs> Excuse me, Ruth. Now, the reason I said that I got off track, Naomi and Boaz were about the same age. And notice that Naomi and Boaz both called Ruth my daughter. And that was simply an age difference thing. That's what they called someone that was a little younger. Uh, and so that's kind of where that came from. So this is my daughter. It's just more of a respectful, you're younger than I, and, and my daughter. It was a, a term of endearment, so to speak. Okay, so we'll continue on. It says, do not glean in another field or leave this one. 
but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So in other words, as a Moabite woman, uh, she was probably looked down upon, period. And that's why I said at the very beginning, Ruth understanding and knowing where she was from, what her background and descent was, she knew what people thought of her, and she probably was a little embarrassed, perhaps. I'm just guessing at this point, but just based on all of history with the Israelites and the Moabites, it was, might have been a, an uncomfortable situation. That's, and that actually plays out a little bit, a little bit later in this, in this chapter. Um, so that's why they said that. So he said, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged a young man not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Wow, that is just, he was, there's Boaz immediately knowing who, not really, I mean, he didn't really know who she was until he just asked, who is this person? And not knowing really who she came with, he just said, you know, again, there's God again, just uh, maybe moving Boaz to go, listen, I want to protect you, drink out of my, my vessels and, and just stay in my field, I'll take care of you. What a kind, kind, kind soul. So let's move forward. Here's, and I love the reaction. Here's Naomi, or excuse me, Ruth. <laughs> check it. With, with her absolute humility. Just, it's just so to bear here. She says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you would take Notice of me, since I am a foreigner. There, she, see, she did know, and she did wonder at what people maybe thought of her. She knew she was a foreigner in a foreign land. But her grateful heart says, and verse 11 says, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that did not know you before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Well, a couple things in this passage right here, Boaz noticed and it's not that he just noticed, but there was her, her, her reputation preceded her. There must have been word going around of who she was and uh, so what she had done for her mother-in-law, just literally living everything and sticking with her, her loyalty, uh, her industrious nature. And so this was all something that people had been talking about. And so he kind of began to put two and two together, who she was. But I love this, this charge at the end here. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, of course, this is before Boaz even had a clue what was going to happen, right? He's just saying, basically, bless you for your goodness, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I always wonder what she might have thought about that, you know, because uh, this is... Uh, a picture that we see time after time in the Psalms about taking refuge. David took refuge under the Lord's wings. And that's the, the symbolism of, a, of, a, a, young, of a, a mother bird, you know, a hen or whatever it was, an eagle taking its young under its wings to protect, maybe in, in, out in a field. And uh, it's just a beautiful picture of how we can, how we can uh, be up underneath God's protection and that's exactly what he's talking about here. And I think it's just a beautiful thing, the refuge under your wings. I, I love that. Let's move forward. And then, and then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. This is speaking to Boaz. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Again, there's humble gratefulness from Ruth. And then it says, and let's continue on. And at mealtime... Boaz, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her, passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, 
In other words, she was going back to work. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. This is after, so, so the, I, going back to what I said at the very beginning, I'll correct myself in a way, the, the gleaners typically would just be allowed in the fields, right? I know I got confused a little bit there. They would just go in the fields following up in the hot sun, and they would just pick up whatever they could. But after the grain had been sheaved, put together, and they've collected it all, there was an area where underneath that bins or whatever that was where Boaz is now saying, not only the fields, come into the, where they're working and when they've, where they're tying up the sheaves, there's going to be a lot more drop there because they're putting it under tension. You may work here as well. So he's just, just, just showering her with, with affection and, and, and uh, just being so kind and courteous to her. Uh, so let's continue on. Uh, Let's see, that we're in, chat. we're in verse 15. I'll pick it up there again. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the, bun- pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. I just think uh, that is just so kind and generous and nice. And what he's doing right here is going above and beyond the requirements of the Mosaic law on this issue. He was going beyond. He was taking it to another level. I don't know what kind of character quality you want to call that, but it's what he was doing. And I just think that's a, a really neat passage there, a neat, neat part of the passage. So she gleaned, this is verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. I think about 30, 35 pounds of barley. It's quite a bit. And she took it up, threw it on her back, basically went into the city. Her mother-in-law, Mrs. Naomi, saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. This is the leftover. She had a doggy bag, basically, right? So she brought that home to Naomi. And her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. I just love this part. It's just, I mean, as the story builds, you're like, it's like a, like a lifetime movie. It's just really so beautiful. I don't know, it's just great. All right, so uh, his name was Boaz and you can feel the tension, right? And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Naomi said to Ruth, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Let's just stop right there. So stop right there. I want to look back. Pastor Greg last week talked about names and, and how people were feeling. Jump back to, to chapter one. Chapter one. And let's look at verse 20. This is after they'd returned, after she had lost her husband, her two sons, Orpah took off, and she comes back with just now with just Ruth. Let's look at verse twenty, verse twenty of chapter one. She said to them, "Don't call me Naomi." I believe Naomi meant pleasant. I think isn't that right? Yeah. Was it pleasant? Okay, thank you. She said, "Call me Mara." Mara means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Well, here's, here's kind of point number two in this, in this uh, passage. Because I want you to notice the turn, the change, and in, in the, in, in the, the, the emotional state of Naomi. It went from you know, with, with good reason. I mean, she lost her husband and her two sons in a matter of ten, a 10 year period of time. And then she returns and she's like, don't call me pleasant. I am, I'm bitter and I, the Lord has dealt with me. And it's almost as if she had, as, as if she had, as, as if she had given up on uh, the Lord. But I just, but, but notice the turn here. I'm going to read it again. May the, it says, and Naomi, this is verse 20 of chapter 2, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
there's the turn right there for Naomi. It's, it's, a neat, it's a neat part where she has gone from, he abandoned me, he did these things, I'm, I'm, this is where I'm at, to praise be to God. Look at the kindness and look at the, look at the, the he has not forsaken me, basically is what she's saying there. And I think this is an important part you know, a lot of times passages have one major theme. And we, uh, I've said this before, we don't want to do any what's called eisegesis. In other words, taking something out of context and making a running with something that's really not there. But there's a lot of truths that can be found amongst the major themes of a, of a particular passage and text. And I think one of the applications here is that though Naomi was going through a horrible trial, and in fact where she basically was saying... I'm changing my name because I'm not pleasant anymore. To realizing and understanding, she's beginning to see what the bigger picture is here. And it's going to continue as we go through the chapters uh, where she's, she, she starts to put two and two together. And I don't know if her heart softened or she just this was the trigger itself, but she basically turned a corner, so to speak, for her to say this. And so I just think it's important to understand that as we are going through trials, and things can be very heavy for us, we need to always keep in mind that God's, through, you know, we see through this whole chapter that his sovereign hand is going ahead of us. And we may not be able to see it at the time. It might be bad things that you go through and trials and natural things that happen, but know that God does have a plan for our lives. And it may not seem good at the time. And I don't blame Naomi for feeling the way she did. It's just that, as she's beginning to realize that it's a good lesson for us, let's put it that way, that she really understands and believes that God is truly faithful. And so let's kind of continue. I'm just going to read 20 again, and we'll move forward from that. Verse 20 said, And Naomi said to her, said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi said to her, also said to her, this is the funny part, uh, The man is a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers. That's an interesting word right there. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Let me tell you what it means. I know. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I even wrote it down. A redeemer. And this is where, this is where in the actual passage, in this story, that the, the, you get the first hints of the kinsman-redeemer message, the typology between Ruth and Boaz and Christ and the church. Okay, Christ and, and sinners, basically, unredeemed sinners. So in, uh, in Mosaic law, uh, there is something called a kinsman redemption. Um, and let me just kind of, I'm just going to read it through because I, I wrote this down. So I'm just going to read it to you. It says a close relative, like to, to, to the, someone that's deceased, like so if a, a wife lost her husband, right? Um, a close relative to the husband that was lost uh, could redeem, number one, a family member sold into slavery. Number two, could also redeem land that needed to be sold under economic hardship. And number three, could redeem uh, the family name by virtue of a Leverite marriage, which is what this is going to be. I don't want to give it away, what's going to happen here, but I'm hoping most of you have read Ruth at some point in your lives and know the story. But this is going to be a, basically a Leverite marriage. And so the Redeemer is, was something uh, under the Mosaic Law that they could do because they wanted to uh, keep the name and, uh, of the nations going. And so they would find someone that was a relative, and then they would marry the, the, the widow, and so that they could keep the, either, the, either the property going or the, that doesn't sound real romantic, but, or they could simply keep, you know, keep the, the lineage going, so to speak. And so this is actually what the kinsman redeemer uh, uh, system was. Um, now, someone, uh, one of the commentators that I was looking at earlier today, actually, uh, said this ancient custom pictures the greater work of God redeeming those from slavery to sin. So again, 
the, the Redeemer, uh, the kinsman Redeemer, uh, little law, said uh, a family member sold into slavery. That was one thing. So this is, a, again, it's a, it's a picture of uh, a type of uh, redemption that could occur back in, the, in this far eastern or, or near eastern uh, time. And so it's not something for now necessarily, but that's, that's why this happened. And so you can see how this is beginning to kind of mirror a little bit as we kind of go through the story that you can see what's happening. So there's the first time the Redeemer word has come in. And we know that who is our ultimate Redeemer? Jesus Christ. And he has ultimately redeemed the worst of the worst, which is us. And so let's kind of continue on through here. So she says, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Go figure. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you will go out with, this young, with, these, with his young women, lest in another field you will be assaulted. And this again would have, would have occurred if they were, because they knew she was a Moabite woman. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Um, and I'm not going to get into, obviously, chapter 3 is next week. And it's an exciting thing. But there's a few things that, that Greg pointed out last week, Pastor Greg did. And I just want to, and I'm going to read them verbatim and, and see if you can sort of see things beginning to happen that we, that we, well, of what we just covered tonight. It says, he said, no matter how hard the situation, if we surrender and obey the Lord, he will bring us through. Now for Naomi, I think we saw that happening, Right? That was a hard situation, but then towards the end of this chapter, we could see that, that she was seeing that the Lord was going to bring her through this. That was one of the first glimpses. That's neat. That's one thing that we saw. The second thing Pastor Greg talked about is no person is so far from God's grace that he can't be saved by grace. That's a solid application today. Again, this is Ruth, who is a Moabite woman, and I talked about how the Moabites got started, which was horrific at that point. We know they worshiped other gods. We know they worshiped gods that, uh, that instituted child sacrifice. So if there was ever a, a, a group of people that were unredeemable, it's, it's the Moabites, but it's also us. And it's something to remember that no one is so far, no one is so far that they cannot be redeemed. God will redeem who God wants to redeem. Amen. He has the power to do that. Some people have said that Jeffrey Dahmer was redeemed. I have a hard time believing that. But how, how do we know that? We, we do know that Jeffrey Dahmer, in, in prison, in his later years in life, came to know the Lord. What? That's crazy. Son, right? Son of, I mean, it's countless over and over again. So what's the message in that? Uh, maybe there's family members that we just keep praying for because that's all we can do anymore just keep praying for them because they don't want to hear what you've had to say you've talked to them before you've mentioned things and they just reject you we could keep praying and keep praying because we don't know who god will redeem ultimately but we know he has the power to redeem anyone and i think that was a really critical point that was a point two that greg brought up and we could see that uh, occurring here uh, a moabite woman who would have thought? They should have, I mean, she had some great qualities, but man, her lineage said no, you know. But wow, what a neat story. Number three is the thing that uh, great Pastor Greg brought up last week. God providentially guides, I love this one. Yeah, he does. God providentially guides those who want to obey him and serve others. Now, I, I did this study, most of this prior to listening to Pastor Greg's thing because I wasn't able to be here for it. But it's so neat how these things just line up. Truth of Scripture is affirmed by Scripture and, and those who study it. And uh, yeah, she, what, what did it say? She happened to come to Boaz's field and, and, he, and behold, Boaz showed up. Yeah, that's God's hand of providence. And it, and it occurs in our lives and we need to be in tune to it. And again, that ratio, where, where are you living? Are you ruled by the flesh or are you ruled by the spirit? And some days it's, it's a battle, it's half and half. 
Some days it's a lot more spirit, a lot less flesh. Some days the flesh, some weeks the flesh take over. And then you bring it back into stasis and then you bring it back up. Where, and when we're in that mode where our, our spirit ratio is high, when we're yielding to the spirit and living according to his word and staying in his word and staying in prayer and staying in fellowship, we see these things differently. There are no more coincidences. Things don't happen just randomly. God orchestrates things. And what, it, you know, I, I thought, I've always thought about this. For the unbeliever or someone who rejects Christ, how sad to look at a sunset and go, well, the atmosphere is doing this and this, and because of this, and because of the trajectory of the sun, we see this, this thing, and that's why. Man, I'd prefer to go, look what God, look what God is showing us in this beautiful work, his handiwork. And I just think, that what, what a better way to live if nothing more than that, you know. Um, the other point, there's six that he brought up. The fourth one, though, it says it is no good to get angry at God and blame him for our mistakes. He said that, the first, he, Pastor Greg said it last week. Um, I think that points back to Naomi and shaking her fist and saying, change my name, I'm, I'm bitter now. And, you know, it doesn't do any good. Uh, I know we're all human and we, and we can have moments where we uh, struggle and that's normal. Naomi did, you know. But at the end of the day, it's, uh, it works out a lot better if we can maintain and continue our gratefulness to the Lord and knowing that his hand is moving ahead of us. Um, so, well, it's a neat study. I'm excited just as a, next week's chapter is really crazy and fun. And it's where, it's where they, they kind of meet and get a little, you know, it, I'm excited about it. It's, it's fun. I did a little reading ahead. It's not a long chapter, but I want you to notice that as we go through this whole thing, when I say whole thing, it's only four, four chapters. It's really one small, one small little book. Um, but just notice, and, and if you read ahead, just notice the things that are happening, keeping in mind this is a type, T-Y-P-E. It's, it's a typology of our Redeemer and who we are as unworthy sinners. And it's important to remember that as we do, because it, it just makes God, our Redeemer, so much more beautiful and uh, so much more kind and gracious. So let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Lord, this, this, uh, this, this book of the Bible that was written thousands of years ago, showing us truth today for our lives now. Father, it shows your character Lord, it shows your, your, hand, your hand of providence, Father. And it, most importantly, it shows that there is no one, Father, that, that you cannot reach if you want to reach them, Father. Lord, we pray for those who, who maybe we do know that we feel are unreachable. Lord, we pray for them right now. We pray that, Father, in some way that you take the scales off their eyes and you, you turn them to you, Father. Lord, I ask that you keep us safe as we travel home from here. Bring us together safely on Sunday to worship you, Lord, and begin back together next week to continue in this beautiful book. In your name we pray. Amen.